0: Today we continue this series titled, Why Won't the Kids Listen? Is it possible that the way we make rules and consequences and talk to our children creates the resistance to doing as told? In my parenting journey, I learned that sometimes I created the resistance to the very thing that I wanted. Maybe you've done this too. Today we're talking about how sometimes we get in the way and interfere with what we actually want to teach. We've all done it, actually. So grab your LaCroix and your favorite pen and notebook so you can add to your list of strategies and possibilities. Today you will have four things to consider about how you interact that encourages or discourages the listening you are actually after. Are you tired of repeating yourself with your children or wonder why they don't listen? Are you frustrated because you wish your kids could communicate their wants and needs more clearly instead of whining or yelling? Are you plagued by the feeling that you cannot meet all the needs in your family? Hey, parents, you don't need to stay overwhelmed and exhausted. It is possible to build strong family relationships and have boundaries that benefit kids. Hello, my name is Dina Lynn Rosenbush. I'm a mom, grandma, and speech-language pathologist of over 25 years. In this podcast, you'll find solutions to get kids to listen better and build family connection to feel confident in managing difficult behaviors and help your kids build more language of their own. So if you are ready to communicate in ways that build deep, meaningful connection and create a more peaceful, productive, and happy home, listen in. Let's interrupt the way you've been parenting so that you can become the parent you want to be. to this episode 32 why won't the kids listen part four are you making their listening worse and four strategies to change it but before we get into that i want to announce some really exciting news i was invited to be an exhibitor at homeschool summits along with this podcast of course the language of play homeschool summits is a free online event that supports parents around the world in their endeavor to train up their children at home using christian principles If you homeschool, or if you don't, when you sign up for the Homeschool Summits for free, you can access my coaching program for 30% off through that summit. And of course, find other resources too. My affiliate link is in the show notes below to join Homeschool Summits. And there's a wealth of information and guidance for homeschooling families. So if you missed the March Super Special and you want to get a promotion now, you can do it through the Homeschool Summits. Yay for you! So that is this week, already April 3rd to the 7th, 2023. You'll need to act fast. And did I say it's free? A free exclusive online event for thousands of families around the world. Attendees can sign up and then upgrade if they choose to, to lifetime access and videos and all kinds of information. And I'm one of them. So that's really fun. I'm so excited to have been invited to participate. And again, the show notes is where you will find the link for that free summit i remember when my kids were young i remember being exhausted by the demands of full-time work schedule being a single mother driving them to school and activities eating in a hurry and sometimes poorly sleeping too little and generally overstressed by the demands of life my ability to handle life was compromised i hear you this is you too we parents do our best Even if the certain circumstances that I said that were true in my life are not the same circumstances, I know the demands of life are full and kids' demands are full. And from day to day, what is our best? Changes. And I know we all want to do what is best by our children. If you didn't, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Sometimes we get in our own way, though, and we create situations for our kids not to listen. And we don't want to do that. Some days, the kids whine, and I whined back. I yelled at them, and I felt awful. I felt guilty when I gave a consequence that did not really make sense. And I also was very fortunate that I had a neighbor that became a great friend to talk to about our parenting, and we struggled through together with our children, and we learned from each other, we read books, and shared our knowledge. Essentially, we raised our young children together, and that blessing was huge. I learned to apologize and to make right what I was responsible for. I learned that when I ran out of energy and of myself, when I was spent, I needed to stop. I learned that my energy had an end to it, and when I pushed, I was definitely not my best self. When I had become a single mother and I could not do it all anymore, I learned to depend on the kids to help with home tasks in order to keep us functioning as a family. Eventually, we built a team and we rotated who fed the dog, who made the lunches, who did the dishes and laundry, who cooked the food, who cleaned the bathroom, who took out the trash, etc. Simply put, they learned that if they waited for me to do it all, they didn't get to go to their activities. They were all done by the time I could drive them anywhere. So, for this episode, I thought through how sometimes I had caused the very disobedience and the non listening that I didn't want. And I thought, how was it that? I turned that around and we ended up with a really strong family team. So here are the four strategies that I had used with my friend who who was actually a marriage and family therapist in training at the time, which was of so much value to me. But well, we were of value to each other. Like I said, we raised our children together. I won't say that the road was smooth or that it was easy. Each child was different. We had lots of bumps along the way, but we all grew in the process. So here are the four strategies that are still really important and keep connection with my now adult children. And I am happy to say that now it's a way of life. It is no longer hard. And I will encourage you to take some time and really think about each of these four things and how you can implement them and what it looks like for you. Because when we're tired or when we're spent, we all act differently. As When I get spent, I might get bitey and somebody else might get Um, sarcastic and somebody else might cry. And we all have different ways we handle our stress. So I want you to think about these four things and consider how it is that you might be actually causing that disobedience, that noncompliance, that you're actually after and how you can then change it with these four different strategies. The first one is right here. Simply put, when your child gets upset, don't join them. Another way I'd say it is, when your child acts badly, don't join them. It sounds so obvious. But when we're tired, it isn't. Remember that their brain is not yet capable of reaching outside of itself to think about others well. Often when we get upset, it is because we're taking personally what it is that they're doing or saying. We are stepping into our own child's brain, like I would step into Dina Lynn's young child brain, like like six-year-old Dina Lynn, and respond from that place. But that's not what we want to do with our children. We want to stay the adult. So when you find yourself, not if, when you find yourself stepping into your child brain, and if you find it happens a lot, you may have trauma that you need to recover from. Or you simply might need to learn and mature in how to deal with your own thoughts and feelings. Kids are not regularly capable of thinking outside themselves for long. We see it occasionally, and then it disappears again. If, as our children are speaking, you are looking at it through your lens, and you can recognize that you are seeing yourself and what is going on inside of you, that should be a red flag to you to pause and don't join them. See, the issue they're expressing, even when they're looking at you, blaming you, whatever they're doing, is a mirror of what's actually going on inside of them. So if you can listen to what they're not saying, such as identify how they feel, then you will build trust and connection. And that then calms their brain and helps them to listen. Focus on how to make them feel seen and heard. And then the outcome, eventually not right away, is they will copy how you listened to them. So give them an example, a model of how you want them to listen to you by how you listen to them. So when they're acting badly, don't join them. Use language of compassion and kindness. Without feeling seen and heard, our kids shut down and they can't listen. So your tip in this one is to use language of compassion and kindness. Number two talk about feelings. Unfortunately, most of us adults did not grow up in homes where feelings were talked about as a normal occurrence in life, as a very real and non-judged thing where we could just experience, talk about it, and move on. That is not the typical experience. So pause and think about how well you talk about feelings. How well did your family of origin talk about and accept feelings as neutral, just talk about him as something that just happens in life. Were emotions and feelings something to be avoided? Or were they opportunities to connect? If we want our kids to handle their emotions, they need to see us talking about our feelings and our emotions, sharing our feelings, owning our feelings, and being okay with it and not afraid of it. If our kids see us avoiding emotions, what we're actually communicating is that feelings are to be avoided. The language to use with them at this point is discovery and acceptance. Discovery and acceptance of all feelings without judging them as good or bad. Just accepting them as, oh, that's what's happening right now. Not a whole lot different than it's raining right now. It's not like you have power over it. It's just you make a comment, an observation, it's raining, and then it's done raining. We don't need to go into the idea of, oh, no, it's so bad that it's raining. When energy is spent in fear or avoidance, brains go offline. And humans, not just children, become unable to process the information. Therefore, unable to listen well. So number two was learn how to talk about feelings as a very normal, regularly occurring part of life to accept and to give words for. Number three. Learn to apologize. Don't expect your kids to apologize well if you did not show them how to apologize well. Many times I've come across parents that say, oh, they'll see me as weak if I apologize. On the contrary, parents, when your children see you show up and own what you did wrong, their respect and admiration for you blows through the roof. They become much more unified because they trust you deeper. Learning how to apologize well enhances all your relationships. Because we will hurt one another. We will do things that we don't intend to do. We will make mistakes. It's just part of our human experience. Perfection is not. And when we pretend we're perfect in the way we parent or or have relationships. The only person we're fooling is ourselves. So how do you want your children to apologize to each other? And how do you want them to apologize to you? I suspect that it's going to have about four parts to it. Now, some people have more parts to their apology. These are the parts that I required of my kids when they were young, started probably about age three or so, something like that. And of course, I would walk them through over and over and over and over. So don't think that they're going to have it if you tell them once or 20 times. They need to see you do it. They need to go ahead and do it themselves. And like we just talked about in number two, if they're feeling tension and their emotions, they can't listen well. So when we're asking them to apologize, there's going to be some emotions there. Your teaching of how to apologize is going to be repeated super often because their brain is somewhat offline every time they get into the experience of needing to make an apology. It's also something that you can practice with dolls or other toys when they are in a good place that would anchor it in a little better. Anyway, here's the four parts of the apology I required of my kids when they were small. And I try to always hold true still to this day. First, expressing regret. We don't really want our kids to say, sorry, and run away without any sense of regret. We want them to understand. That means that we need to require them to say what it is that they're sorry for. I'm sorry by itself as a lingering phrase is really quite meaningless. And we've all had that experience where somebody says, I'm sorry, but you don't know what they're apologizing for. Kids feel the same thing. So, I'm sorry that I spilled the milk on your favorite outfit. I'm sorry that I didn't listen when you told me to put my shoes on. I'm sorry that I poked a hole in the cushions. Whatever it is that they say the specific thing attached to the I'm sorry, you know and they know, What exactly went wrong? The second part of the apology is owning. That might look like I shouldn't have poked the hole in that cushion because now it needs to be repaired. I should not have taken Billy's toy because he was playing with it and I didn't ask. When it comes to something like spilling milk, owning it has already been done in the expression of the regret. But what it is that we want to notice is that the child does realize they did it. They're not blaming somebody else for it. If they're sitting there saying he did or because he, in the middle of their apology, it's not authentic. No apology has because he or because they. There can't be a blame. The third part is an offering to make it right of some sort. So maybe with the spilled milk, they say, or maybe they've already acted on Cleaning it up. Maybe they just don't have a clue how to make something right and they say, How can I make it right? A lot of times, like let's say your child hits another child, how can I make it right? Sometimes just means, You go see if they're okay or let's hug them or something of that nature. Sometimes the amend can be done and sometimes it can't be. And so that question, How can I make that right? is a really good question to use with the kiddos so that they just ask the person who had the offense done against them and let that person decide. Oftentimes the answer is nothing because it's just simply done. But the ask of how can I make it right does show sincerity and it's a really good, powerful move because then the person who's making the apology needs to do it if they can and if it's possible. And the fourth part is can you forgive me? And what that does for our children and for us is to remind us that we can ask for forgiveness. And that's part of acknowledging that we did something wrong. But at the same time, the other person can choose yes or no. And when we talk about that with our kids, they get to choose. And if they're not ready to forgive, that is okay. You did your part. You asked them to forgive you now you let them deal with themselves you don't need to rush that forgiveness from the offended child or or yourself just like give it time if the child needs time at this point here are the four parts that i like to go over with a child that is learning how to say an apology and it's things that i still do with my kids today express regret and be specific i'm sorry that i did X, Y, Z. Own it. I shouldn't have done that because I see it was out of bounds for me to say it or it's not mine. Three, can I make it right? How can I make it right? Can I do something to fix it? And four, can you forgive me? And that's an, like a peace offering. And the result of that question is not for the person asking forgiveness. You have to let go of whatever answer you get. And that's tricky, because the answer sometimes is not yet. So your language that we use expresses regret, owns, corrects yourself, and attempts to connect. If you don't apologize to your child when it is due, they become stuck, rendering them unable to listen. This is why learning to apologize matters. If you actually do owe them the apology, they feel it, but they can't budge because their brain is noodling on the wrong that was done to them and the feelings that they have because they can, they still have the feelings that go along with the offense and they can't really listen very well at that time. But you will be amazed at how their brain combs and their mind opens up when you apologize well. The fourth strategy is recognizing when you're spent. Parents, we get exhausted. Your child will know how to express that they are out of fuel by you showing them how. All of us run out of fuel. But if we can learn to recognize that we are spent and say it in words, it gives them the opportunity. Here's a couple of examples. When my son was 16, there was one day he came storming out of his bedroom and he came to the kitchen and he was furious. And I said, What's wrong? And he yelled back at me that he is so mad he can't stand it, but I don't, but he says, Mom, you don't deserve it. So I'm going to go for a walk. In other words, he knew that I hadn't earned his anger and he didn't want to dump it on me because I didn't deserve that but he had so much anger in him from somewhere that he just went for a walk and he calmed down that way. It was a sudden surprise, which happens to our kids in the teens because they've got a lot of hormonal flux and sometimes that hormonal flux alone can trigger a sudden anger. They don't know where it came from and it can be very unnerving for me. I found what we would call a witching hour sometime about 9 o'clock at night. And so before that time, I would say to my kids, I'm done being a mother today. I'll resume in the morning. Go to your room. <laughs> and they knew because we had had plenty of conversations. This wasn't about them. This is about me being spent. And they learned that if they push me, I won't be proud of who I am because I was exhausted. And there were a few times that that happened, like at seven o'clock. And I would just say, do your homework in your room. Do whatever you need to. Just just give me space because I am too tired to manage. Another thing that happened was that somewhere. Oh, I don't know. Maybe my kids were somewhere around the ages of 12 and 14 when they realized that if mom is hungry, then she isn't going to be as kind. (laughs) So if I was being curt and quick, sometimes they would say, have you eaten, mom? And it was remarkable how many times they were spot on, especially if it was summertime because I love working outside and I would go outside in the morning and I would do things all day long and I would forget to have breakfast and lunch. And pretty soon it's mid-afternoon and I'm grumpy. So they would realize, oh, mom needs to eat. So it would happen to me too. And I also learned that my, one of my kids in particular, I didn't even try to talk with him about anything difficult unless I fed him first because he couldn't handle it. There are very reason, very good reasons why we need to learn to recognize when we're spent. And at that time, we use language of mercy, of compassion, just being grace-filled, taking nothing personally, just see the problem underneath the behavior, and recognize that, hey, maybe we need to take care of something like hunger, tired, cold. When those things are taken care of, and the grace happens, the body calms, the brain calms, and then kids will become able to listen again. It turns out adults are the same way in this number four. So what is it that you recognize in yourself? My hope for you after hearing this is that you are super gentle with yourself. We all have days we recognize that we are not our best and we want to hide. We also all have days that we're rock stars as parents. Realize that this is only an indicator telling you where you are. Like if you have to heal or you have to grow if there's something for you to learn. Likewise, when our children have snafus in their behavior, it is an opportunity for us as parents to know exactly what it is to lean into. What do we need to teach them next? What experiences and practices do we want to do with them to help them discover this truth about themselves? And keep in mind that teaching does not mean telling. If that was the case, we adults wouldn't be having this problem too. It is in our showing the kids and practicing with them that they are in an environment of discovery. And when you use the language that accepts that we practice our way through life, then we get to create the environment where they are more willing to listen. And we keep their brains calmer. And no longer are we the stumbling block to their listening. So to summarize, when your child gets upset, don't join them. Kids are not capable of listening outside of themselves for long, so listen to what they're not saying. Help them feel seen and heard. Number two, talk about your feelings. If we want our kids to handle their emotions, they need to see us talking about emotions, sharing our feelings, and owning our feelings. Number three, learn to apologize well. Your kids will do what they experience from you. So give them opportunities to feel your authentic apology. And four, recognize when you're spent. Your child will know how to express when they are out of fuel, when they feel spent, by you showing them how. I hope you found some help and encouragement in all of that, knowing that we've all been there, and it's not the last time. (laughs) So... I hope you're encouraged. Lastly, as a reminder, in case you missed out on the March special or you simply want some amazing content from Homeschool Summits, you can sign up for free for Homeschool Summits. And through there, you can get 30% off my coaching program and find many other resources too. The link is in the show notes. Remember, mamas, when you get behind the eyes of a child, you can speak in a way their brains understand. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you feel hopeful and want to hear more, please share this podcast with other parents that might want the same. I would be so appreciative if you would rate and review. You can also connect with me through the email found below.